perhaps you're sitting there and you're like, I don't even know how to study my Bible. Over a thousand pages, so many words, and depending on the, the translation you're reading, it's like a foreign language. It, it can be an intimidating thing. When you actually take on a mindset that says, I'm gonna figure this out and accept this challenge, it will change your life. It really does start with one step and lots of intention. It's actually opening up and getting into it every day. Talking to God about it. Welcome back to another season of the She Chooses podcast. We are kicking off a brand new series. We dive into an in-depth study on the book of Ruth. Hey guys, my name is Jessica Hartzold and I am obsessed with all things Jesus. I am a lover of my Bible and a pursuer of our Lord, but I am also a woman who makes mistakes and doesn't always get it right. I haven't always been a follower of Jesus. Boy, have I not. However, during one of the most difficult times of my life, God illuminated for me the power of a choice and this gift of free will. She Chooses is a podcast purpose to help you fall in love with Jesus, and in doing so, learning how to harness this gift of free will by taking life one choice at a time. Let's get started. This study is going to be a deep dive of sorts. You know, it's going to be a little bit different from what we've done in the past. And every week I challenge you, get in the book of Ruth, read those four chapters and and see where God takes you. And let's allow this study to be so rich in revelation. When we look at the book of Ruth, high level, what we see play out is God's call to all of us. His call, his calling us home and the choice that we have to make, are we going to follow or are we not? I love looking at the background of books of the Bible before I dive into them. When we look at the background of Ruth, some things that I pulled out is there is an overall theme of kindness and redemption. And Ruth, she connects the theme of redemption to the harvest festival of Pentecost. And it's this this wonderful foreshadow of Gentiles being welcomed into and essential to God's plan. It's so exciting. I said that this book is is one that has a theme of kindness. Unfortunately, when you look at God's word and you look at the different translations, there can be a disconnect, right? Whenever translators are working, there's a word in the original language that there's just not a perfect match in the English. And so they, they do their best to connect, but it, sometimes it falls short. And here with kindness, we see that fall short. Um, because the the original word, the word that we have, kindness, it does not do justice to what that original word meant. This kindness in the original language, it actually is more more than what we know, right? It, it's a covenant kindness, a covenant loyalty. It's more of a nothing coming in the way of sort of loyalty. And it's it's deep and it's more meaningful than what we typically see play out around us when we think about kindness, This book was written anywhere between 1375 and 1050 BC. It was after the era of the judges when it was written. The events of Ruth actually took place during the time of the judges. And we learn that by reading Ruth chapter 1 verse 1, which we're going to do later on. We also want to consider who wrote this book. Really, we have no clue. 
Some people say it was Samuel. Some people say Ezra. Some people say Solomon. Some people say it had to have been a woman due to the level of detail and focus on women. But really, there is nothing to say with certainty. And so we're kind of left. We, we really have no idea who wrote this wonderful book. But we do know against that it was written to was to Israelites as a way of explaining the history of this Moabite woman that married Boaz, who gave birth to a son who was the grandfather of King David. The Israelites would have been so curious and they would have needed to know more specifics about this Moabite. And they, they wanted their community to know this beautiful story. And these details were so important for them to know, and they are so important for us today to know. Today, this book, it serves as a message to us, us as the bride of Christ. And we need to keep that in mind as we examine what all this precious book has to say to us. Where does this book take place? This actually takes place from Bethlehem to Moab and then back to Bethlehem. So it's about 50 to 60 miles in between those two locations, taking about seven to 10 days to travel. So keep that in mind as you dive in to this book. A fun fact we all need to know is that Jews, they study this book every year during Shavuot. I'm not even sure how you say that word, Shavuot. No clue. But that is also known as the Festival of Weeks, which we know as Pentecost. This festival, it signifies the coming of the Holy Ghost and the birth of the first church, which we are so excited about and is so meaningful and so deep when you really look at this book with that in mind. I said the Jews study this book during the Festival of Weeks. The Festival of Weeks is one of seven festivals that the Israelites were commanded to celebrate, and we find them in Leviticus chapter 23. A lot of people want to stay away from the book of Leviticus. I love the book of Leviticus because Jesus is all over it, specifically in those feasts. They all point to the gospel. We need to take a gospel-centered approach to all of scripture. You know, we look at Leviticus, we think, oh, the law. No, let's look at this and consider the gospel. The Bible, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. So he can be found in every aspect of it. The more we learn about God, the more we are refined and the more we are, re- we are molded into his image. So we, we have to really stop viewing scripture from the lens of us, which often we looked at Leviticus in that way is what, God, what are you telling us about us? No, put on that lens and look through the one that is the lens of him and, and something amazing happens. We often find people, women specifically, try to take the book of Ruth and they try to make it about finding a husband. Do that. Please don't do that. That is such a, a, unfortunately, it is such a superficial way to look at this book because this is not about finding your perfect husband at all. This is about developing a deep, rich, loyal relationship with our Heavenly Father. It is so important to see the background of this book in order for that richness to come to life. During the, the time where we see this record play out. They were celebrating the festival of weeks. This was harvest time. I said that that the Jews read this during the, the celebration of the festival of weeks. Also a celebration of the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai and Israel's acceptance of that law. 
we too are celebrating that same type of harvest time. However, ours that we're celebrating is a harvest of souls for the kingdom. We celebrate the giving of the Holy Ghost on Pentecost and our acceptance of it. So during this festival, the people, they were required to leave the corners of their fields untouched in order to provide for the poor and for strangers that are coming through their land. And we'll see that and we'll hear Ruth speak of these things. And also part of that festival of weeks, part of their celebration involved this wave offering where they took two loaves of leavened bread. This is the only feast that allows for leaven. This is symbolic of Jews and Gentiles becoming one. We see that here in this book. This is the only feast where leavened bread is used, and it's symbolic of of sin still being in the church and how it's going to be until Jesus returns. This book, it points to Pentecost. Jesus, he told his disciples 40 days before his ascension that they should go to Jerusalem and wait for the Comforter. They gathered in Jerusalem 10 days after Jesus' ascension. While they were there praying, tongues of fire descended. From there, they were to go out and proclaim the words of Jesus. This book is so incredibly rich with personal applications, you know, pictures, foreshadows. So we're going to do our best to really tiptoe through it all. It really flows beautifully whenever we're learning how to walk in faith. Ruth is a powerful example, not just to women, but to all believers. Ruth chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 says this, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malan and Kilian also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. All right, so here's the introduction. And it begins dark. Elimelech, when we look at him, we've got to remember when we're reading scripture that names are meaningful. There is a very, very important thing for us to pull out whenever it comes to names. They were so much more meaningful than what we look at them as today. Elimelech, his name means God, his king. This is appropriate because this is written during the time of the judges. Okay, God actually was their king um, during this time. They weren't ruled like the other nations around them who had kings, they had judges. God was left to be their king. So Elimelech, he left his home in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Keep that in mind anytime you hear about Bethlehem. It's so important that you know the meaning of that word. Bethlehem was located in Judah. Judah is located in the promised land. Elimelech, here we have him. He, he left his home. He left the promised land And he went 50 to 60 miles into enemy territory. How do we know Moab is enemy territory? We're going to find out. Where did these people come from? We find that in Genesis chapter 19, verse 36 and 37, where it says this. As a result, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. When the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab. He became the ancestor of the nation known as the Moabites. Okay, so here we have Lot's daughters. They... 
didn't know, they didn't have husbands whenever they left um, Sodom and Gomorrah. And they wondered, how are we going to have children? How are we going to carry on? You know, and they concocted this plan where they were going to have a sexual relationship with their father. And here we see that they, that happened. And his daughter gives birth to a son, Moab. His other daughter gives birth to a son named Ammon. And there we see the Ammonites come from. So both of these groups of people, anytime you hear about them in scripture, you see that they are, they are fighting against, they are a constant terror to God's people. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1 through 4 says this. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the, pe- with the women of Moab. They invited the people to do the sacrifices of their God, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. All right, guys, Elimelech is an Israelite. These verses hang a backdrop of sorts for us. Elimelech, he took his family to Moab. He willingly took his family into this place, this place that God directly said he hates this place so angered by it. God is very, very clear here saying, don't do this. Don't do that. He gives us clear warnings all throughout scripture about things that are acceptable and things that are not acceptable. Elimelech here, he removed his family from the safe land to a place that God had said, don't do this. We read in those initial verses of Ruth that Elimelech, he only wanted to sojourn there in Moab. He just wanted to go there and to wait things out. But that isn't what happens. He leaves Bethlehem, his house of bread, and he journeys to Moab. And he ends up dying outside of the promised land. I want us to pause to consider this for a second. Too often, we look at Elimelech as the villain of this story. But when we really stop to consider him for a little bit, we start to see, yes, He made a really bad choice. However, we can be a whole lot like him because sometimes our life gets tough and sometimes we're tempted to leave the promised land. We experience those moments, don't we? If we're honest, how many times have we had that same thought of, you know, God, I'm just going to go over here for a little bit, wait this hard time out, and then I'll be right back. You know, we may be tempted to leave God's promise. We, we get tired of waiting. We experience resistance. So we back off and we think, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to camp over here for just a little bit. I imagine Elimelech, he is experiencing some resistance. He sees what's happening around him and he is just processing, what are my options? He's weighing things out. And this resistance he's facing, he is not willing to push against. And we feel those same moments too. We experience resistance in our life. You know, sometimes that resistance comes in conviction. Sometimes it comes in other forms and we want to flee. And sometimes we do flee. What I see playing out in this moment is a backslidden life playing out here. Someone who backslides is someone who, who lives for the Lord and then slowly begins to back away 
to let things into their life and to let go of their relationship with God. And eventually they just completely walk away from God. So back to the story of Ruth, there's a famine that's going on in Bethlehem. We have no idea what triggered this, but here's what we do know. God gave these people a warning on obedience. We find it in the book of Deuteronomy. And famines, they they were often used as a judgment of God. It was God telling God was telling them how to live, and when they stepped outside of that, his judgment would call them back to him. It's the same sort of way now. God is consistently using things to draw us back to him, but often we mistake what that is and we we push against it rather than running towards him. And this is quite possibly what we're seeing happen in Bethlehem. Perhaps they had strayed away from God and this famine had struck them as a way to draw them back into relationship with him. Unfortunately, Elimelech decides rather than to stand against this resistance, he decides to move. He decides to sojourn elsewhere, and it winds up with him dying outside of his promised land. This sojourning, though, it doesn't stop with Elimelech's death. We find also that his sons take Moabite wives. These can be really difficult things for us to see, right? We don't want to see that the Moabites were born out of an incestuous relationship. We don't want to see that God does not like the Moabites. We don't want to see that our behavior can cause a a famine of sorts. We don't want to see that judgment really comes. But these things are so important for us to see and to take a moment to really pause and to consider these uncomfortable portions of life. Because as we all know, there are uncomfortable things that happen to all of us. Here we're seeing when we take a step of disobedience, we start to push a boundary. Proverbs tells us very, very clearly, do not move the ancient landmarks. And here we see a why. When we look to Elimelech and we see him from the perspective of a backslider, we can see how sin starts with a thought, it moves to our heart, and then it moves to our actions. It's really the same scenario that we see play out with Eve in the garden. She had a thought, the thought lingered, and it made it its way into her heart, and then it turned into her reaching for the fruit. When we apply this to Elimelech, you know, he's experiencing trouble. He has this thought. Maybe his thought was to protect his family. Then that moves into his heart. Then it moves into, a, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this step, God. I'm going to Moab. We often want to run away from the pressure of God. And this is what we're seeing happen. We really can connect with Elimelech if we're honest. We all can experience pressures like he, he experienced. They might come in the form of a loss of a job, a stress of life, you know, raising children, some sort of pain that comes into our life. And it can allow resentment to settle into our hearts or different emotions. And that resistance gets to a place where we feel like it's just too much for us to bear. And we start to question exactly how Eve questioned, is God good? Elimelech, he's seeing this famine in in Bethlehem, it would only be natural, a flesh response to to wonder, Lord, our, our food is drying up. You know, there's famine in the land. Are you good? It's something that we all face, but it's something we all have to learn to push through. And it really amplifies our need to learn how to find joy in the ordinary day to day portions of life. 
I was listening to a podcast this morning and um, the author of that podcast, he said, you know, God created us for magnificent things and he also made us for mundane things. You know, those mundane, ordinary things can be very, very hard for us to power through. Um, But we have to learn what it means to walk in faith. And that requires us to have this resistance training of sort. And it, it really teaches us how to activate our mustard seed faith. Elimelech does a really good job of giving us an example of what not to do when pressure is applied to us. But we don't want to stop there. We don't want to just look at this horrible example of what not to do. We need help in understanding what do we do because we all experience these Moab temptations and we don't want to step outside of our promised land. And we can look at David. David gives us a great example of what should happen when pressure of life is applied. We're going to look at Psalm 55 as an example of what to say, how to say, how to handle the Moabs of life. Psalm 55 verse 1 through 8 and verse 16 through 20 read this. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me and in wrath they hate me. For my heart is severely pained within me and the terror of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. If we skip on down to verse 16, it says this, As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them. Even he who abides from of old, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. Here we find in verse 1 through 8, David, he's acknowledging that pressure is upon him. He's telling him, God, I'm restless. I'm complaining and I'm noisy. I am moaning. This is awful. You know, the voice of his enemy, the oppression of the wicked. He's he's lamenting. He's telling God, you know, my heart is, is severely in pain. He's got these terrors. He's fearful. All of these horrible things. David is acknowledging pressure of life. And just the same, we have to acknowledge pressure of life. Too often, we just want to, you know, put on our big girl skirt and be like, no, everything's fine. We want to pretend that life is perfect. But too often, life is not perfect. And we have to acknowledge, you know, feel the pressure and acknowledge that it really does exist. Um, And David does a really good job of explaining that to us and showing us, giving us permission, I guess, to talk to God. You know, God already sees the pain in our life, so why not talk to him about it? We don't have to act like, we don't have to pretend like he doesn't see it because he already knows he's omniscient. And so it's our job to talk to him about it and to pray about it. But David, he doesn't stay in this place of wallowing in the pressure. He moves on, and we see that in verse 16 to 20, where he is acknowledging, I'm going to call upon you, God. Yes, this is true. All of these terrible, rotten things are happening, but I'm calling on you, God, because I know you are going to save me. 
I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep crying out. You're going to hear my voice. You redeem my soul when the battle was against me. You've done this before. I know you're going to do it again. You're going to hear me, God. You're going to afflict my enemies. And he's just calling on the goodness of God. And he uses this word, Selah. In verse 19, we see the word Selah. When you read that in the Psalms, it is beautiful. Guys, it's not amen. It's pause. Think about what you have just said. Consider what was just said about the Lord. And when you stop to consider these things, whenever we are really wallowing in the pressures of life, right? The pressure is so intense. If we will stop and consider the greatness, the majesty, the victorious God that we serve, suddenly those pressures begin to ease and we start to step beyond um, where we feel like we're drowning in our circumstance. We can start to see God as bigger than our circumstance and we can see him as the almighty that he is and the way maker that he is and we can really begin to start to see the way out that he's providing that way out might take a while it might feel like it's forever off but he starts to lead us and grab us by the hand and slowly start to work us out of those situations this is a beautiful psalm if you're facing a moment where you are tempted to step into a Moab place of life, I recommend that you take this psalm and turn it into prayer. Make it personal to you and start declaring how, yes, this circumstance is here, but my God is greater. Psalm 55, Elimelech should have done this. He should have handled his temptation this way. David, what we saw here is he laid his pain out to God. He wasn't afraid to do that. Elimelech should not have been afraid to do that, but he chose not to. We cannot be afraid to show God, to talk to God about our circumstance, to be honest about our feelings. You know, God, he can handle what it is. He can handle our feelings. He knows us and he loves us and he's waiting for us to ask for help navigating the pain of life. I'm reminded of in Psalms, we're told that the Lord is, he sits enthroned above the flood. So many times we have the the flood of life, right? And I go back to Noah. Noah was in the ark with his family when, when the great flood happened. And all the while, when Noah and his family, they were in this place of uncertainty with so much pressure, not knowing what's happening, not knowing when they were going to get out of that boat or what life was going to look like after that, God, that entire time, he was never removed from his throne. He was seated and throned above the flood. We serve a sovereign God. He knows his his vision is so far compared to ours. He knows the beginning and he knows the end. He knows the way out of our struggle and our circumstance. And we've got to learn to profess that back to God. Lord, you are enthroned over the flood of my life right now. You are enthroned over this Moab temptation of my life. I want to stay in the house of bread. God, I want to stay in the promised land. I do not want to be moved. We've got to begin to pray those things back to him. And we have to learn to sit in the challenges. I imagine David was sitting in a challenge when he penned those words. Elimelech chose not to sit in the challenge when he was faced with this temptation. David shows us what it means to push against the resistance in life, the pressure of life, to actually consider and see the uncomfortable things. And really, David does a really great job of showing us what it means to wait. But thankfully, God, he doesn't leave this family in this wait 
And he doesn't leave us in the wait, even though sometimes it feels like he has left us. He has never strayed from us. And we're going to continue our journey to learn more about what God does to help this family and to help us in those moments where we're called to wait. And we're going to journey into that next episode. I can't wait to continue our study. Before we walk away from today's episode, it's super important that we take time to consider what we just dove into. A lot of times our Bible studies, they they fall short because we are in that checkbox mode of life where we're just getting something done and moving on to the next thing. Well, whenever we do that, we're not really allowing the word of God to break through the surface and really get into the deep places in our life, into our thoughts and lead us to those places of personal application where the word of God is allowed to be activated and we see it as alive and life-changing. So we're going to, we're going to take a few moments and think about some questions that we can consider as we move away from what we just discussed. The first question we can dive into is really, these are thoughtful considerations. Have you found yourself like Elimelech? Maybe you find yourself tempted to leave the promise of God. Perhaps you're thinking things in life are looking a little too uncertain right now, and maybe taking that mindset, I'm just going to step off to this side and camp out for just a little while until things settle down. God, then once I get all of this figured out, then I'm going to serve you. Another question to consider is the struggle that you're facing in your life right now. Have you looked at it as a way to draw closer to God, or is it causing you to question God's goodness? Is it challenging your ability to want to serve him? Too often we let struggle open a door where we take a step away from him rather than taking the time to consider what if God wants to show me something about who he is through this? Or what if this is an opportunity to see the majesty of God? What if rather than giving ourselves an excuse to step back, this is an invitation to bow ourselves to his sovereignty and allow him time to unfold his plan before us. The third thing I want us to take time to consider, take Psalm 55, couple it with the struggle you're facing and follow David's lead. Turn this into a prayer and learn to wait in the presence of the Almighty, the one who is working all things for his good. Too often, We want to skip through the pain of circumstance. And guys, I'm right there with you. I don't like to feel pain. No, the death of a dream is really hard to watch. The loss of a loved one, grief is a horrible thing to bear. The end of a marriage, I've been there. I know that pain. The battle of addiction, trying to overcome addiction, these things and so many other paths of life. They're painful and we don't like pain. So we get this mentality where we want to rush through those hurtful circumstances rather than feeling the pain of it. We want to really deny its existence altogether by running into a proverbial Moab trying to figure it all out. I can't imagine the struggle that happens in a seed as it's placed in the ground. I can't imagine that it's an easy thing for that seed to die and give way for a beautiful flower to emerge. 
I can't imagine what it's like for those roots to have to push through soil to stretch in such a way and get to a depth where it has it has a place, a footing to hold that plant up against the elements once it has broken the surface. Struggle is so real and struggle is very painful. Struggle, though, is very purposeful also if we allow it to be. And it's so necessary to endure that struggle, to feel that pain and allow it to draw us closer to our heavenly king. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want to be a Limelech. I don't want a chance dying outside of the land of God's promise. So today, let's choose together to learn to do the hard thing, to learn to wait in the uncertain, to resist that temptation to move from the presence of God. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. Thank you for taking time to listen. I hope over the next few days, you'll take some time and really think about what we just went over. Look for a way to apply it. It's when we activate the word that we really start to step into the life that Jesus desires for us to live, that authentic Christian living. If you found this episode helpful, share it. And please leave a review. When you do, you help elevate the She Chooses podcast in the search results of others, making it easier for them to find. And if you're like me and you like to digest information in varying forms, you can find the full episode transcript on the She Chooses website. Check out the show notes for a direct link. And hey, while you're there, go ahead and subscribe, making sure you never miss an episode.